I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you stop. like. What a stop! Shots from Ben! Oh! Oh! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it, it's been, we're, be, we're bigger than that. That interview is just like the performance, flat. No. Well, I mean, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he's... Say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Hello. Thank you for downloading this week's pod. It's me, Kevin Kilban here. I'm joined, of course, again by Dave McIntyre. And we've got a guest appearance this week from the one and only Ballyhorners bomber, Nathan Murphy. How are you, Nathan? All right? All good? Very well. It's great to be here. Good man. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us uh, between the pods, feel free to tweet us. Either us, either Dave, myself, even Nathan as well. Um, You can email us on uh, sport at newstalk.com. But that's exactly why we're maybe... We're re... Jigging it this week. We're going to. We, it's a rebranding. Now, it's a rebranding. Yeah. From now on, we are actually going to be calling this the Kevin Kilban um, Weekly Pod. Is that right? No. No. Just read Kev- your script. The, I spent ages putting this script the script together. Kil- yeah. The Kev- read the script. It's all there. The Kevin Kilban Football <laughs> Pod. That's yes. What it is. Yeah. On News Talk. Yeah. On News Talk. That's what it is. We, I was uh, suggesting we call it the Killer Podcast. Mm. Dave reckons that that sounds. Yeah. I think like it sounds like, like a would yeah, like a, pod, yeah, we, a killer pod of killer whales. Well, I would say well, we've had to re- redo this because we were recording it. Was it last Wednesday, Dave? I think we recorded it. Who last, knows? Who knows when it was? <laughs> but, but Dominic got in contact with us and said, "Ah, lads, will you stop trying to make out that you're download? Uh, sorry, you're recording this on a Friday <laughs> when you're clearly not recording it on a Friday." So, but today actually we are recording it on a Friday. So, but that goes out the window. So, Dominic, thanks very much for getting in contact with us. So, we've had to rebrand, rejig this because of you, because of your tweet that you sent to us. So now it will be called the Kevin Kilban Football Podcast. So, uh, anyway, thanks for downloading. And um, here puts we go. a lot of pressure on Kevin now, doesn't it? it, does, it yeah. is. Well, it puts that, him that, front and center. That's yeah. a serious. Commitment. Your name is above the door, so that's you're in charge of quality commitment. control. Oof, well, is that not usually the role of the producer and editor? Yeah, Dave, 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 Dave's my producer. Yeah. <laughs> well, either way, either way, I'm not filled with confidence right we're now. Screwed. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, anyway, let's get down to business. Right, we've had a big week, haven't we? Big week in the Premier League. I think after Saturday's results with Chelsea losing to Palace, I think we were all just looking at Chelsea to see, look, what's the story? How's it going to go in this Man City game this week? And I think Chelsea probably proved a few doubters wrong. I think they've maybe just laid down a marker I think just that they bounced back from that Palace result which essentially was a freak result because who they, were the doubters though they should have there was a lot of doubters maybe I think I was in, in my own head thinking if they don't pick up maximum points this week I fancied Spurs to go to Swansea and win it wasn't comfortable for them but they managed to do that and I think it might have opened the door for uh, for Spurs a little bit and even City I thought City might have taken something but Chelsea um, closed that door and they've now changed everything we'll listen to it we'll, we'll listen to a bit of Antonio Conte to see what he said post-match and then we'll react to that the best way is to think that Tottenham could win eight games yeah I think I think this and for this reason uh, to win the title we need 18 points so basically they, he still thinks they're going to have to win all their games yeah that's that's basically what he's saying he, I mean and he's probably right within that as well I mean they've got they've got enough of a cushion and you look at Tottenham Tottenham one down with two minutes to go they end up winning 3-1 it wasn't comfortable for them but can we realistically see Tottenham going on a run that they failed last season I don't know but I, I I I mean I think that Chelsea now with that performance with that win against Man City I think I think they've put the league to bed with that and now it's all about second third and fourth I feel anyway 
Well, Chelsea only need to win, what, five more of their remaining eight games to win the title? Yeah. The run they've been on for the last six months, that's yeah. almost a certainty. They look as though they have that inner steel that they're not going to collapse. Like, they've done it. All these players have won the title already. Literally every one of these players has won the title over the past couple of seasons. Yeah, that's right. So they're used to coping with this pressure. I thought they were very impressive. Yeah. On Wednesday night, I thought they were defensively. They looked, they just looked solid, didn't they? It was almost back to two years ago, wasn't it, when they won the league under Mourinho? When it was just right, okay, we might not have the ball now. Just come and break us down, and they were solid. And Hazard's been been great this season. You know, every everyone's maybe stood up this season, and they've just done it across across what the thirty odd games they played this season already. So yeah, I, I think they'll go on now. And I think can I throw in an alternative? viewpoint on right. what happened in the game the other night right, go on then. I thought City played very well in patches mm. particularly in the first half first through off. the middle they were excellent with David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne Sergio Aguero never had that guilt-edged opportunity but he certainly had three or four half chances where you might expect him to take one and then those two opportunities for John Stones in the second half the second of which I thought he, mm. it was being described as a sitter but the ball kind of arrived at him quickly and it was a little behind him as well I, yeah. I thought it was very awkward for him to get his body in a position where he could steer it goalwards but the first chance um, and the one that was blazed over as well. I yeah. think that City could well have won that game. Certainly could have taken a point, and then Tottenham would be looking at a five-point deficit. I don't think Chelsea were as solid as the point I'm making is, as the result now allows yeah. us to discuss them. As. I think second half, I think Conte made a change. He brought Matic on, didn't he? I think that was highlighted on Match of the Day, I think, through the week, wasn't it? They brought Matic on. I think he just changed everything around. He made them a little bit more solid. Um Nathan and I were having a little bit of an argument, maybe on air the other night when we, when we were on air together. I thought Caballero for the first goal was a joke. I do. I thought he had chocolate wrist, and I know it took a slight, and it was a slight deflection off of Vincent Company with the strike from Hazard. But his, his, his wrist just crumbled on him, and he's got to make that save there in that position as a as a top class goalkeeper. He's got to make that save. I'm surprised by Kevin with this. I thought he was a better pundit than constantly blaming the goalkeeper. Do I constantly blame goalkeeper for everything? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. Do Hazard that. is ten yards out when he takes the shot. It only uh, he's takes, further out than that. He is it further out. He's on an only angle takes as well. A slight deflect. It only needs a slight deflection to put the keeper off. Now he's look. I. If you blame the keeper for the goal, I think that's being harsh. No, but no, I, I he definitely needed to get more on it than he did because he got something on it. If you have, if you watch, it's it, right so, beside him. All things say to you, watch it in slow motion as well. I know slow motion might highlight. Watch how his ball hand goes a lot slower in slow motion, Kevin. It yes. makes it look easier to save it. That's not the point about the ball. I'm talking about his hand. Watch his arm and his hand. How it crumbles when the strike comes to him. Not strong enough. Doesn't keep it. it, it his hand in a these and his hand just just flips. I mean, you, you know, I, ideally, yes. You, I'd love to talk to a goalkeeper about it, but I, I think a good goalkeeper should be saving that. I think he should be saving it. I think you've been harsh. Is it? I do think you've been harsh. I, maybe he should have, but the second it takes a deflection, I think the chances yeah. of him taking it and saving it are diminished considerably. But it goes back to Dave's original point where he's saying how City could have won the game. And yeah. I think if if Caballero saves that like I think he should, then he, he could be. And that was maybe the case this season early on at the Etihad as well, that, that City... Could have won the game, perhaps should have won the game. You think about De Bruyne miss when he's underneath the crossbar mm. when he when he put it all. Yeah. The Chelsea winners a penalty as well, which was saved. Stupid stuff from Fernandinho to be even yeah. getting remotely close to putting in a challenge in the penalty area. I think it's very easy to talk about Chelsea being solid and having laid down a marker, but if you look at the game itself, they could have easily have lost that match. And but then, is that not laying down the <clears throat> marker? Is that not? Uh, no, what? I think laying down a marker would have been a one nil win where Thibaut Courtois wasn't really called upon and. 
Manchester City were really frustrated and just couldn't lay a glove on yeah, Chelsea. No, I, no, I don't think stifling the life Manchester out of them. Manchester City played really well, and still yeah. Chelsea won the game. I, th- I'm, I'm I actually there. think it's more to do with City than it was Chelsea that City didn't w- at least draw the what, match. What City's inability to go and kill the game off, go and get a goal? Is that what, is that well? What you... Poor finishing, yeah, and stupidity from Fernandinho, bad goalkeeping, and those chances at the end. Like, yeah, but that, I think there was more of, in it for City. What you're saying there actually sums up that big question of how we will look at Manchester City this season. Yeah. Because so often, particularly in the last few weeks when they had gone on that long unbeaten run, was it eight games by the time they were going into the City match? Look at the look at the way Sané has developed. Sterling at times this season has played brilliant football. Attacking-wise, they are going to be impossible to stop next season once Guardiola gets the defence sorted. Now he has to actually go and do that. Yeah, yeah, he has to somehow I'm find the players. It's three, it's there's, three, he needs three defenders. There's no automatic guarantee that they're going to start next season with the three players. Like they bought, is it eight or nine centre backs since as, since company joined the club? Is that right? Yeah, eight or nine. Yeah, two, over two hundred million quid they spent on centre backs alone, trying to find either a partner for company or a replacement for company, and none of them have really worked. Now, company actually looked really good uh, on Wednesday night, mm. which think- causes another problem of. What does he do with him? Yeah, but he, he, you can't trust him. You, well, that is the thing, isn't it? I think we all know that's that's going to be the thing that's in the back of Guardiola's mind constantly. How we how is he going to keep him fit? How is he going to keep him right? And history suggests that he won't be able to do that. And I think, as you say, he won't be able to trust him to play. You probably City side. It's got to be twenty five, thirty Premier yeah. League games, hasn't it? And so I, he needs a keeper, two fullbacks, a centre back, and a central midfielder. Yeah. I'm with you. That's a quarter of a billion pounds worth I'm of talent you, yeah. that he needs to buy. And yeah, exactly. For that level, yeah, that's true. Were Carlos Puyol and Pique better defenders than John Stones and Nicholas Otamendi? They were better defenders, but I were they vastly better defenders? Not, not necessarily Pique, but I think Puyol. Puyol was... Just, well, they just made it, look good by the boys in front of no, them. No, there was probably an element of that, but Puyol was just an out-and-out defender. I, I led to believe when, when Guardiola first started to play the way that he played, he was very uncomfortable, didn't want to play like that. He wanted to defend narrow, stay between the goal, didn't want to be getting himself open, didn't want to be trying to race back into positions. And he had to adapt his own game to, to adjust to that. PK is more natural to that, isn't he? He's, he's good on the ball, he's elegant. He does get caught out, PK, doesn't he? He gets caught out of position at times, but he's still a very, very good player. And Guardiola, Guardiola essentially sees his defenders as a as the platform to build the attacks. He's not necessarily seeing them as a defender. So we're talking about sort the defence out. I don't think things are going to dramatically change from that sort of side of mm. it, but we're going to maybe see City be perhaps be a little bit more dominant with better players in the side. That's the only thing that will change. What sort of full-back is he going to be looking for? Because if you look around the Premier League, and I have a lot of man love for Danny Rose, yeah. is he the type of player yeah. that would suit City? Or does actually, like Danny Rose's thing is getting up that left-hand yeah. touchline. Does he want a full-back who does that? Or yeah. does he want somebody who as we've seen at times, can almost play in the middle of midfield as well. Yeah, I think I, I think he probably wants a Danny Rose-type figure, someone who can get up and down, play high and wide. Uh, you're looking at a Dan, Danny Alves-type figure as well, aren't you? That's, yeah. that's the sort of type thing that's in my head because that's what we, we kind of get used to Guardiola's side having. He had Philip Lahm, he had David Alaba when he was at Bayern. So these are the sort of players that you're expecting, I suppose, to have. And I know that he played Philip Lahm in midfield a little bit as well, played him in that inside um, full-back position. It, but I don't even. Know try that with James Miller would have played a lot of football for City this season if he was still at the I club. I think. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think he would have done as well. I think he'd have been the first choice left back all yeah. season. I think he'd have played there across the whole whole of the season, and I think he'd have been loved by Guardiola. Well, yeah, I, I can see why you're making that point, but 
if you look at the circumstances the way they fell at Liverpool I don't think Klopp had any intention of playing James Milner at left back when he first arrived at the club he just realised having seen Alberto Moreno that there was no future for him in yeah, that position he and he looked at his options and he knew this guy is the consummate professional yeah. and will never let him down yeah. Milner probably would never have had a sniff of an opportunity to play in that position if he was still at Manchester City. No, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think he's seen a consummate professional around the training ground thinking, I need to get this guy in my team. I've got to play him somewhere. Now, he's probably not good enough to play one of the three forward positions from what they've got now there at Liverpool. Pep would never have thought that place is going to be left back. Well, no matter know. how badly but he has the likes of Clichy in Colorado we have, have seen him play there at City over the, over the last few seasons, though, haven't we? He's played in a number of positions mm. and I've, I, I've seen him play there myself. So I, I think... I, I, you, you may be right. Guardiola might not have seen that, and and it's maybe been forced upon Klopp. And he is a better player, of course, he's a better player than Moreno. But I don't know that we never know that now because he left in the summer anyway. But Alan Shearer says there will be no further twists in this title race. They've got Bournemouth in the evening game at the weekend, and then they're away to Manchester United. That's live and off the ball, and they also have a visit to Goodison Park as well. But their other games are Southampton, West Brom, Sunderland, and Middlesbrough. They're four. Gimmies, they're, not, yeah, they're, not, they're not losing. They're Bournemouth not losing. as well this no. weekend. You think Na- they're Na- win. That's five of the six wins they need. I mean, we, we talk about Nathan making valid points, and it's it's very it's you know it frequently happens. But <laughs> a, the point he made right at the top was that Chelsea's form suggests that the, the, the with the five out of eight is it that they need to win? They'll do it with what they've with what they've six done. Six from eight, as things stand, it's it's just so unlikely. Yeah, yeah. That's of course that's guaranteeing that Tottenham win eight from eight. I, well, and that is the other thing which you just cannot see happening. Even though Spurs have had possibly the best season of any team in the Premier League this year from the resources that they yeah. have, we spend so little time talking about them because there's so much going on yeah, at City, at Liverpool, that. at Arsenal, at United. Like the job Pochettino has done again yeah. to get them back up there, having had quite a few injuries throughout the season, having a ball. I was going to say he has a pretty shallow squad, but that's primarily his fault, or well, it's their own fault yeah. because all the money they spent during the summer, none of them have, he doesn't even trust to bring them off the bench, really. But again and again, like that win on, on Wednesday night against Swansea was seriously impressive because Swansea at home, yeah. since Clement has come in, have been good. And yeah. defensively, they don't seem to concede too many goals anymore. They're really strong. You would have expected them to hold on there. So for Spurs, without Harry Kane, without Danny Rose, to come out and score three goals, it's a shame in one way that they're going to go to Wembley, that they are having to invest so massively in the new stadium that they can't go and spend 100 million quid next summer. Yeah. You feel they're very close to winning the league. You do, yeah. I, They've I, won their last six without their main man. You'd, you'd think, and we know wages <coughs> is always the issue, I suppose, there with Tottenham. It, it was released this week on the papers on, on players' wages again and, and um, the, the amounts that Tottenham are playing, it's way below the, a lot of the other clubs considering... I think they've got the fifth, or maybe even sixth budget in the Premier League. So Pochettino is is going way above what he should be doing at the moment. He's um, he's excelling himself or exceeding expectations. Um, so he is he's going great. But can as you say, can Tottenham sustain this? Particularly as Nathan's saying they would move in. I don't think they can sustain this over the ne- the next few years. I think we might see Tottenham just drop off, not necessarily drop off going down to sixth and seventh, but I think. A top four will be the the utmost Tottenham can get over the next few years. That, that's what I feel. Is that more down be. to the fact <clears throat> that the other clubs will spend a whole pile of money yeah. and improve? Yeah. That Tottenham won't necessarily drop a level if they keep this manager and keep this particular group of players. Yeah, that's but the is. other teams like Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal, they'll all improve, yeah, they'll all that's, spend. That's exactly what I think. You sort of have to assume as well that the first time there's 
either a dip or there's a clear indication that Pochettino can't go and spend the money he wants to, that he'll be off. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think that'll be the case as well. And there's a lot. I mean, will he go to Barcelona or not? I don't know. He suggested that he'll never go to Barcelona because of the rivalry with um, with Espanyol. What's, so, that, what's that all about? Yeah. <laughs> rivalry. So, yeah. I'm, I'm delivering air quotes here. Oh yeah, yeah. continue. Yeah, they, well, it's, <laughs> he's, he said that himself, isn't he? He doesn't want to go to um, to Barcelona because of his links to Espanyol. He doesn't see it as the, as the way that he wants to I'm go. Not, I'm not having that. What is yeah. it that Spurs do really well? When you watch them, he he makes subtle changes every time. Sometimes it's Wanyama and Dembele in the middle. I think that's probably his first choice. Yeah, he reverts to the four to the three, and he, yeah. Like, quite they're not actually when, great to watch that's what I was going to say when you watch them there's no great pattern you don't go and watch Spurs and go here's exactly what they're going to do here's exactly how they're going to take a team apart oh yeah I, I, I think there is that I think there's that to Tottenham because when they play with the three especially the, the, the common theme I think from Tottenham is it will always be small passages of play on one side of the field now say if I'm talking for instance say it would be Danny Rose that's maybe at left back so you'd have Danny Rose at left back you'd have Deli Alley in the inside left kind of number 10 position and then you'd have Vertonghen behind them with Wanyama coming over in support so you'll have those three or four plays keep the ball then what they do they'll kind of work it manoeuvre it in that position outside right would be Kyle Walker and he does not shift from the outside right and he literally does not move and he'll play it as high and wide basically just staying onside as soon as they work the ball three or four passes the ball will either go back to Vertonghen or back to um, Alderweireld and he immediately hits a diagonal ball, and that's how they're trying to shift sides. And it's, it's a constant theme with Tottenham how they do it. If it's on the right side, where it'll be with with uh, Walker and uh, Dembele, whoever it is, and they'll manoeuvre it like that. They'll shift it back, back inside again mm. from that sort of it's side. That inside hit, pass and hit Danny Rose. That's the key to it all. The yeah. inside ball back into uh, it's either Dembele, Eriksson, or Deli Ali. They've got three guys that are just picking up those little positions, yeah. and then those little one twos around the corner gets those. Whether it's yeah. Danny Rose or Ben Davies, he's done brilliantly. But in what, those I, what, I, what I also do like about I'm sorry, Dave, but I also do like when they do shift it quickly out wide. Where you'll see Arsenal maybe if they shift it quickly, not necessarily a long diagonal ball, they shift it quickly into wide areas. There's a reluctancy with say an Arsenal or even a City at times to cross Tottenham cross mm. Tottenham get it wide and cross early and cross quickly. So they'll give the Deli Alley, they'll give a Harry Kane, whoever it is that's playing central, to make his run knowing full well that cross is coming in. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not just trying to doubt, but I, I think there is a real set pattern to how Tottenham play more so than others. I think because everyone buys in and everybody knows exactly what Pochettino's demanding from them. Are they the only team that you watch in the Premier League that play their fullbacks quite so high? Yeah. Because it's interesting you mentioned that now because one of the great things about our commentary position at White Hart Lane is that we are so low and you're mm. generally Kyle Walker is standing... 10 feet in front of you so he'll press right up as you say on the offside line Yeah. if it comes to Alderweireld he'll step back he drags the full back with him and next thing they've got an overload down the right hand side so yeah. they do that with Rose and Walker is there any other team in the Premier League that play their full backs right up almost no, as I don't. I don't think they do to- Liverpool to an extent have done it this season but I think Milner's more reluctant to play that high and wide I think he, he might feel because it's not necessarily natural to that position. It's not his natural game to continuously go up and down like like a Rose or a Walker yeah. would do. It doesn't I, have the pace of a yeah, Rose either. Yeah, I do. I think there's it's a it's more bit. Klein really bad sometimes. They're probably yeah. You're probably spot on <coughs> with that as well. Yeah, so I think it is. But um, yeah, but so I, I think Tottenham do have that. I think Tottenham have got that real set plan to how they play. Uh, we'll move on to Liverpool. Uh, I think we have to we have to ch- chat about Liverpool this week again. Jurgen Klopp has has spoken about the 
well, the defensive frailties from set pieces. Another set piece conceded this week against Bournemouth. Well, of course, um, we, we, we could have found this one counter attack um, too, too close to game. And then long throw in. And I don't know how often we spoke already about this. The second ball after a set piece, whatever. But it's our responsibility. It's my responsibility. We have to, we have to work on this. We have to sort it and, um, because it, it hurts a lot. Yes, they've dropped four points this season against Bournemouth, both from winning positions. You know, we, we think of the one down at, um, at the Vitality Stadium early on this season where the three went up, they were cruising the game. Nobody could see the result that, that, that came there. Now they've done the same again, um, dropping not necessarily from the same sort of position, but they've dropped from a winning position. And when Origi got the goal, um, when he got the second goal of the night, you think, right, they, can they go and see it through now? Because they, they, Liverpool's defensive frailties have always come I, I felt when, when they've almost felt a little bit maybe a bit, a little looked a little bit overconfident at times and they, it got to that position again and how, how can they continue to do this against lesser sides when all of a sudden they've lifted the game at the weekend for that Merseyside derby they've beaten some of the best sides they've got the best record against the top six sides this season and yet they're still dropping points against Bournemouth Is it that it's so intense at times that it's just natural that you can't keep at that constantly and when they dip manic in many respects yeah, yeah and when they dip and we've seen a huge amount of games at Anfield like we've covered a lot of these against the mid-ranking lower teams in the Premier League and Liverpool are 1-0 up and they're stroking it around and everything looks fine one long ball forward suddenly the opposition are level at Anfield is silent they're getting on the players backs pretty quickly mm. it must be that it's so intense in training it's so intense working under Klopp that the only time they feel they can ever get a break is when they are actually in front at home against the lesser team. They just ease off a little bit and they just ease off far too much. They just switch off. It, it, it suggests something like that is happening. Well, there. the set-piece situation suggests a f- lack of concentration. Mm. Yeah, and that's a lack of organisation and responsibility as well. There's, there's a number of issues probably around that. Yeah, there, is there anyone in that side when... Maybe they don't have a Henderson or someone like that. There's just a bit of a voice in there and just gets hold of everybody and makes everybody more alert. Probably isn't. And that's another issue that Klopp's had to try and deal with as well. You've not got maybe two or three leaders in the side and they only look to me like they've probably got one. Lovren's not a dominant figure. No. He's not an organiser. Um, Clavin has not been an, a leader or an organiser. You might get Milner to an extent, but he's not necessarily, when you're watching games, really vocal. He's not going to get older people. Mignolet to an extent is, you can see him at times trying to organise, but Henderson's maybe the only one that's in my mind that would actually get hold of a few people in that side. Yeah, Chan, that's not no, his game totally not. at all. Vinaldum isn't going to nope. do that. Lalana, we know, has probably always been mentally suspect. Maybe you'd say the same about Lovren. Well, yeah, well I don't know. You, I'd yeah. like to think that Lovren could be that rallying character at the he's not, though, heart he's of soft. the defence. When you watch him, he's, he's, he's not. He's always missing games. Like that, One of Liverpool's problems this season is that Clavin has played far too many games like Clavin's 31 played what 115 times for Estonia nobody had ever even heard of him before last summer complete journeyman around Europe somehow gets this move from Augsburg to Liverpool presumably as a backup centre half to come on play some of the League Cup games he's ended up playing 20 games this season I don't know if you had that. I, I don't think Klopp's got or, or has had last season real faith in Lovren and I think he maybe fa- he's thinking I'm going to sign Matip and Clavin as being my main two, and then you'll have Lovren maybe as a backup. But Lovren has actually done better this season than yeah. 
than in, uh, in in his first couple of seasons there at Anfield. But yeah. Clavin's played 18 times. I don't think anyone, maybe Klopp expected that, right? I certainly don't think that the Liverpool supporters expected it. When you're looking at their run-in, immediately you're struck by the fact <coughs> that there's nobody inside the top eight that they have to play. Stoke, West Brom are top six. Stoke, West Brom, Crystal Palace, Watford, Southampton, West Ham and Middlesbrough. But maybe that's a bad thing when it comes to Liverpool. Maybe they do need to be playing Tottenham and United and Arsenal in this run-in because they could conceivably drop points on all of these away trips, away to Stoke, away to West Brom, away to Watford and away to West Ham. Mm. And if they drop points in two of those games, there's a very good chance they're not going to be playing Champions League football next yeah, season. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> If Liverpool don't get in the Champions League this season, it will be these results that we've seen this season, like the Swansea's, like the Bournemouth, all these sort of results when they've dropped points at home and they've dropped points against the lesser teams away from home. These these are the games that will cost them. I, I think there's probably been an element in truth in what you said earlier on. I, I do think that that it's it's that manic and the the, the focus is is that or, the, or the, the focus is that or they're that tuned in, should I say, when they're playing against the better side, they cannot they cannot relax and Klopp is constantly at them that. There might be an element of that when they're playing against a lesser side that it's not also, as intense. You, you see what it's like at Anfield, and even in those bigger games amongst the top six or seven, like there's a proper build-up. It's yeah, tense yeah. around the place. Like was it the Stoke game, which ultimately they actually went and beat Stoke just after Christmas, but it was dead around Anfield. It was yeah. they were you know they were sort of starting to really stutter at that stage, but they were still in what they thought was the yeah, title was race. Title it was, race, there was yeah. just complacency around. It was like Stoke. Yeah, you know, we've had, we have these brilliant nights now with club all time. This won't be one of these. We'll just go and win this game. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they need a cause to rally around I, yeah, for I'm these totally. big matches. But I don't think that's it's specific to Klopp's time at the club. It was the same under Brendan Rodgers when they nearly won the Premier League title that day when they beat Manchester City with that Lake Coutinho winner, and there was yeah. just such an incredible feel to the place. They went out the following week and um, threw in that clangor of a result to Crystal Palace, and they were out. Yeah, I, I, this is. I think this group is better built for the long term than Rodgers because what Rodgers did was not solely down to Luis Suarez but it's no coincidence that Sturridge and Sterling played the best football of their career while Luis Suarez was alongside them you can see Liverpool improving next season again now they're going to have to contend with the Champions League the problem they have between now and the end of the season is uh, Sadio Mane has just been ruled out for the rest of the season yeah Klopp has actually been talking about that today Let's just hear, hear what Klopp was saying about Sadio Mane. We'll need the surgery, then it's clear, season over. Now we are close to the end of the season and that means then it will be pretty much impossible that you will play again in this season. But we'll have then a longer break and be ready for the next season. So that's the only good news. He's gone. Mm. Sadio Mane is gone. That's a, well, that's a huge, that's a massive blow for me. And throwing the fact that Lallana is not available at the moment either. Yeah. It's a disaster because those two of the attacking four are the ones who set the tempo. Firmino and Coutinho, maybe you could look and say when they were missing, actually Liverpool's results were worse. But it was when Mane was away yeah, yeah. that they really had the collapse in January, even though there was only a couple of Premier League games in there. He is the one guy, and Lallana to a certain extent, they're the guys who chase back and help out the two mm. lads in the middle of midfield who, who really implement that high press that, that Jurgen Klopp wants. Yeah. Coutinho and Firmino are not going to do that. Origi... I thought he did quite well against Bournemouth during the week did a bit more of it but again so many games you watch Rigi when he starts just floats in and yeah. out and he's happy to stand on the shoulder maybe it suits some of those away games it might suit Origi Sturridge is back fit is this the moment where Sturridge finally proves that he should stay at the club probably has to doesn't he it's now or never for him I, I, I feel as though his time's up anyway I think Klopp's made that decision I do think that but I think they need to change but it's got to be Coutinho total, I was going to say though I was going to say I think they need to change their total 
style and formation for this last couple of months with Lalana and Sadio Mane. He won't do that, that will he? You play Vinaldum a bit further up. You go for pure power. You go Vinaldum maybe at the top of a diamond. You play uh, Coutinho and Firmino on, on the wings. You play Origi up there as well, and you just get it forward quickly. Just try and outpower teams. Do you think? Well, yeah, I, I don't think he will do it, but I mean. It, that, I keep doing the same thing again with yeah, lesser players. No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. That that's the thing that a lot of managers don't seem to be able to implement. A lot of the the I mean, I'm talking Guardiola here. Some of the better managers, some of the really good managers. I think Mourinho's probably the best at being able to change styles and work on a set way to beat a side on any given day. I don't think Klopp would do that. Arsene Wenger certainly doesn't do that. I think Conte would do it as well to an extent. I think Conte's got that within him. But uh, I don't think Klopp will change. I think Klopp will just continue to do exactly how he's been doing it this season. I don't think I don't think he's going to change that. All right, so that's Liverpool. Uh, Man United's probably the most likely side to deny them uh, Champions League football this season. So we'll have a look at them next. That was just for you, yeah, Kev. Well, that's, a, that's a classic tune, Dave. Absolute classic tune. If you so wanted a little interlude week. in your podcast, Nathan, I said to him, what you wanted to be. Straight away, cigarettes and alcohol. Oh, it's a classic. It's a classic. So we, we, we've, we spoke about United on the Manchester theme. Of course, the opposite side of Manchester, but Manchester theme. Uh, United lacking goals again. Um, was it not or one goals in la- in six of the last seven Premier League games, and they've not scored more than one. <laughs> I know Ibrahimovic has been suspended. Yeah, that's incredible. I know it is. It is just six wins in the last sixteen at home. Uh, only five or fewer. I think the f- I think the fourteenth. Uh, the fourteenth. In, for goals scored in the Premier League at home this season as well. That's another one. I mean, it's just 10 shots on target in the last three home games as well. Now, that is... It's just not what you... I mean, we've probably expected from United over the last three or four years, but as a whole, Man United is still in our head as this unbelievably attacking side, and they're going to go and beat sides, and that's the thing that I can't get my head around at times when I see when I go and watch them, and it's, it's incredible to see. And again, off the back of it, Mourinho... Typical deflection. The Luke Shaw issue. He's he's had some more really real cutting comments to make about. Before Luke Shaw you get into Shaw, week. can I ask you? Yeah, we would we have had this discussion the three of us a few times over the course of the season. But yeah. I remember around um, September, October, November time when they were drawing with West Ham, Burnley, Stoke. Yeah. They were peppering the goal. Yeah. They were creating really good opportunities. Good they were dominating football. the ball. And the goalkeepers were inevitably the man of the match or the men of the match in those games. Yeah. The likes of Grant, the likes of Tom Heaton, um, and the likes of Darren Randolph. And it was just poor finishing. Yeah. That's not the case now, though, No, is it's it? not. I don't think that was the What's case. What's changed? I, watching the game against Everton the other night as well, Everton were, were such a threat against them. They, they, I thought Everton were quite comfortable, particularly in the first half. Quite comfortable, solid, difficult to break down. And the way that Everton were breaking through Barkley, Morales, Lukaku, Everton could have been more more handily in front in that first half. I thought if it was a better ball, perhaps better finishing, they could have been they could have been further in front than they actually were. And it's probably cost them in the end ultimately because I think they probably sat a little bit too deep and weren't able to really go and get out against United in that second half. And that's what probably did cost them in the end. The, the goal came just from pressure, long balls being played into the box of Man United, and it was. It wasn't great. It wasn't a great watch this week. And it's not been a great watch, say, against West Brom. It wasn't a great watch. Um, who was that one prior Bournemouth. To Bournemouth, yeah. It's not been... It's, not it's been, been incredible, the run they've been on at home. It hasn't been a great and I, watch. And he keeps talking about the 20 games unbeaten. And they're live with us on off the ball this Sunday afternoon to try and make it 21 yeah, games. The Invincibles. They're yeah, at Sunderland. The Invincibles. Like the, the, since October, Invincibles. Yeah. But it's... 
it doesn't really matter, does it? Like yeah. he'd surely he would rather have won. 15 of those games and, and drawn five of them. Yeah, I saw Nathan sending a cheeky t- uh, tweet out of the weekend um, crediting Man United and on this Invincibles tag and how well they're doing, uh, remaining on this unbeaten run mm. through thick and thin. You know, they're really digging in and, and keeping it they together. They do dig that in. That was I know genuine you, and heartfelt. Was you it? were being was facetious, it? but they do dig in. Yeah. They, it never looked like the frustration was going to get the better of them on on Wednesday evening. They, I saw, only saw the last 20 minutes. Um, I didn't see the first half and you've said to me a couple of times that Everton could have been two or three up if yeah. they just played that right ball but certainly in the last 20 minutes they were dominant United they did create chances yeah, but they the, do play to the very end yeah, I mean, that's uh, yeah. the reason there's still 20 games unbeaten okay, yeah, I'll give you that and that, that does take a little bit but there did, you're right in that there was a sense of inevitability that they would get a goal I thought on, on Wednesday night more so than some of the games I've seen them recently I just do not understand where this feeling is coming from that United can finish in the top four this season well, I suppose it's because Nothing. when you look at the table, but they said they're still the numbers stack up. League. But they they have got the worst run in of any of the teams in the top six. Exactly, like, this, and that's really what you would fear for them. The, you could end up looking back at the season where they finish sixth, and like this twenty game on beaten run, it'll be twenty one probably by the end of this weekend. Like it's like an aberration. Like, yeah. Did it did it really happen? And I was listening to some of the analysis of the West Brom game, and you know. Oh, they're, again, they're creating chances. They're dominating teams. They're at home against West Brom. Of course, they're dominating them. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, they're always going to dominate West Brom possession-wise. But it's so bloody predictable, as it was against Everton. These are these are just long diagonal balls. I would think for most, especially for West Brom, with the strength of West Brom's defence, even the majority of them came from United. I think three of the back four that played last week had started off at Manchester United, but. This isn't the United of old of getting it down the wings, getting no. crosses in from dangerous positions. <coughs> this, for experienced centre backs, is so easy to defend against. Yeah, it's Mourinho's United. Yeah, it is. It is a bit like that. And it watching them, I, I think watching them over the last few games, it's been a bit like watching Van Gaal's tide. I, that's mm. what I do think. I, it, it's it's not been it's not been any different. And I look at sides. You know, I I always think back to maybe even playing against United, and you would have also United over the years as well. When United were a goal down, and we know about how they've cha- they've turned games so often late on in matches, but it wasn't just smashing the ball forward, and it was playing through midfield quickly, getting the ball wide, cross, getting the ball wide, cross, getting it into strikers' feet, playing it wide again. It was it was playing really good mm. attacking football, exciting football. But I go back to what we I mentioned about. September, October, November time. I thought. Yeah, I yeah. do think that's what they were doing. Yeah, I'm with you. When they yeah. were, they couldn't get the breakthrough against those clubs like Burnley and West Ham and Stoke. They played. It was. It struck me how how they continued to play their football until maybe the last yeah. three or four minutes, it four, like four minutes of injury though, time. Like, yeah, I thought United are actually a good team to watch. Yeah, it. yeah. I don't think that now. Mourinho but, did look, talk about a lack of confidence, but that's what makes it all the the poorer. Why he's gone for Luke Shaw? Why he's gone for Conor McNamara in his BBC interview last week when he asked him a question because I think that he's he's deflecting in a way he's just all he's trying to do it's typical Mourinho he's trying to trying to take the pressure to take the heat away from himself and away from the team and just focus on something else and that's why I thought the, the comments that he made about Luke Shaw were quite poor Dave these comments are bizarre but was his body with my brain because he was in front of me and I was making every decision for him and the communication was possible because we were very, uh, very close. But I was thinking for him. 
when to close inside, when to open, when to, to go in depth, when to press the opponent. I was making every decision for him. And we need, at this level, we need the fantastic body he has to play football, the fantastic physical qualities he has, the very good technical ability he has, but he cannot play with my understanding of, of the game. He must understand the game, he must sink, and um, he must accelerate the process. He must accelerate the process because, you know, 21 years old is, 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 is old enough to have a, a better understanding of, uh, of the game. But his contribution was, was good. He improved the team. He gave us immediately. After, after 30 seconds, he was almost in a, in a scoring position or in a, an assist position. But it was good for him. I think he goes, he goes today with a, with a positive feeling because his performance was, was very positive. So that's Jose. I find I find it totally bizarre. Have you ever heard a manager say that before? No, no. Just that he was basically there. yeah. That totally. it was almost like Luke Shaw was Jose's avatar. Yeah. For the for the time that he spent <laughs> <Yeah>. on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. That sounds uh, yeah, it sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Though? I know what you it's mean. just weird. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I, I've I've played. I'm sure when you guys are growing up, whatever sport we're playing, you've had a culture in the field that's constantly trying to direct you. But for him to come out and say that, knowing full well how he's feeling anyway, he has been a bit vulnerable. He's he's felt a little bit um, hurt. I feel as though from the criticism, and if, if you're reading uh, or if you believe what you're reading, he's been hurt from what what Mourinho said to him. He apparently has gone and knocked on the door midweek because he wasn't involved in the squad. Mourinho's then put him back into the squad before the um, before the Everton match. He's brought him off the bench, and then for him to come out and say that, I, I, I just can't I can't get my head around that. What 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 sort of message is that sending to him? How is he expecting Luke Shaw to really take that on board and take confidence from what he's saying about him? I just don't get it. He really should have just mentioned the second part of it. Uh, he had a really positive impact on the game. Yeah. He was the guy that made the equaliser, and he's clearly listened to what I'm saying, and That's I hope that he'll continue totally to improve. And just leave he, it at that. all he needed to say. And then if he's got problems with him, he goes and speaks to him in, in his office, gets him in, talks him through a few a few clips, tells him yeah. exactly what he's doing like wrong. Like say to him, I felt that I had to spend far too much time directing you tonight when you're on the field. We just need to work on that. You need to develop an understanding a bit more quickly of where we need you to be. In a, in an office, just the two of them. Yeah. Well, like we all, we've heard the stories of what he did when he went in at Chelsea, which is the complete opposite, where he took players aside, Frank Lampard stark naked in the shower and said, you're going to be the best midfielder in the world. And it happened. This seems to be the complete flip of that. Of he's trying to break him down to nothing, so he yeah. he can re- so he can rebuild him. Is that the plan here? That no. he's st- he's starting Luke Shaw at his career right at the beginning again. We spoke to Andy Mitten uh, the other night uh, about this and what was happening, and he was given an example of Shaw being last out of the dressing room, being ten minutes behind everyone else. This impression that him, he's yeah. quite lackadaisical, that there's a laziness there, that has sort of dogged him throughout his career from Southampton to when he's been on England duty. There've been questions about his weight constantly. You got to give him a little bit of slack because of the injury and how horrific that was, and trying to build himself back up. But it's hard to see how this can have any sort of a positive outcome for Mourinho for Shaw or for that United dressing room yeah, because yeah. it's it is that one thing of when you go back to why United aren't playing well is Martial better this season than last season 
Is Rashford better this season than last season? Mkhitaryan. Like people are giving Mkhitaryan as an example of, oh, like Mourinho did something similar. Yeah. With Mkhitaryan was the best player in the Bundesliga last year. I know, I know. He's not a kid who he had to turn around. I know, it's true. And Let's see what the situation is like in August. Yeah, Maybe I, he's the starting left back in the United team in August and he puts in two or three man of the match displays and he talks to the press afterwards and he talks about how this period in his career will be the making of him yeah. and that he'll be forever in, the de- in debt to Jose Mourinho for telling him what needed to be told and now he's looking forward to getting his English place that. back. I get that. That totally. could happen. I get that what you're saying there is right but... Mourinho doesn't need to be so open with this. Mourinho could be saying everything privately. He doesn't Maybe need to he make has been. Public. Has he? Maybe know. he has. I'm sure, I'm sure, it, it, Maybe this, like this was publicly, the last he's straw. He's definitely been saying it privately to him. But the problem for Luke Shaw is, we, you say we come back in August and he starts playing the best football of his career. But this is going to dog Luke Shaw for years and years. If, Not if, if he plays well. well and, if, if he doesn't play well, though, and he leaves United, where's he going to go? Who's going to take him? There'd be no well, clubs willing, none of the really good clubs that would be looking to take him for what, that. What about Liverpool? Goes in Jurgen Klopp and Jurgen Klopp puts the arm around him. Like he's says, 21. He's still a young guy. Yeah. Now, he's not the, it, it, it does show again the intensity of what it's like to play for Manchester United. You look at someone like Callum Chambers who left, maybe didn't go for quite the same fee. Maybe he did go for similar enough fee. It was 20, was million, 20 million Chambers went for, Chambers yeah. Chambers went Like, Chambers has done nothing yeah, since. No. He, it's a, a similar enough situation. Has played some just horrific games for Arsenal and was was dropped and like he played he started that first game of the season and for didn't have his leg snapped in two exactly had to come yeah. back from this career threatening injury yeah, that, that's the thing mentally from that there is well. a risk always when you spend 25 26 million quid on a teenager that he doesn't turn out to be the player or the person you imagined no it, and that's the way it is that, that that's just that's the the risk every single transfer is a risk how is a player going to settle in the area how how will he develop mentally? All these sort of things, particularly when it's a young player as well. You, sometimes you, you kind of know when you get to 25, 26, that is why you're playing a premium to get these players in because you're getting them maybe mentally right and you're also going to get the be- better years out of them. But there is an element of that, yeah. We'll finish for United. We'll part Man United probably till next week. We'll have a look at them and we'll have a look at the uh, off-the-ball games for this weekend. So the joys of uh, the Stadium of Light this Sunday afternoon for me. Yes, uh, Sunderland, Man United, Everton, Leicester. Uh, Sunderland, I mean, can can Sunderland do what they've done over the last few years? Can they turn it round? Can David Moyes revitalise, rejuvenate the side? Can he get some sort of response out of them? Can he be the the Paolo Di Canio, the Gus Poyet, the Sam Allardyce, the advocate? You know, Sam Allardyce. Can he be? They've this never man? been in this position. Have Last they? season it was 11 games left They when they started to turn it around under Allardyce. They lost only one of their last 11. They were in pretty much the exact same position with 11 games left this season. Right. And there's been no sign. Ten, were they as many as 10 adrift? Not, sorry, when they had 11 games left. So they weren't quite 10 points adrift. Right. At, at like that 10 stage. points adrift yeah. with 8 games left. You're gone. So the you're... questions you've just raised there, those three questions, you could literally have asked in August yeah. about David Moyes and about Sunderland. And the answer is no to all of them. Yeah. He hasn't. He I, hasn't answered any of those. And talking about rejuvenating them, he, he needs to rejuvenate himself. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think he's. I think he's lost some spark. I do really think that from him. You are watching him. You see him in his his press conferences. You see him even watching him on the side of the pitch um, during matches in in his technical area. He doesn't look. I don't know. He just doesn't look his old self. I, I saw an interesting that. point being put forward that. 
actually, and this is similar with Arsene Wenger, that he had stayed at Everton too long. That you become quite comfortable. You're maybe not educating yourself the way you were when you first go into a job. There's not that constant self-improvement. And that when he left Everton, actually the game had moved on from his peak. That when he got at United, he was past his best. Now he's arrived at Sunderland. Mm. The game has really started to pass him by. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's a, that's a valid argument. I wouldn't necessarily see it like that. I, I don't because... I think the the game would not have changed. I mean, he's still ha- he's still developing internally at Everton. He's still taking on board different analysts, different ideas. He's constantly taking ideas on. So his staff were, was always improving, was always growing. As Alec, you could have maybe said that of Alex Ferguson, but Alex Ferguson, what he did, the beauty of him or the the, the brilliance of Ferguson, I always felt felt was was the staff around him, how he seemed to move with the times, maybe not necessarily himself, but he was bringing staff in to help him move with the times. David Moyes was doing pretty much the same at Everton. So Ferguson was always, and, and clearly is, the greatest manager. Knew how to motivate players. Knew yeah. how to get the very best out of As everyone. opposed to the coach. Was Moyes the great manager or was he the great coach? He was a very good coach, yeah. I, 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 when he first went into Everton, I think that's where he did struggle. Um, I wasn't at Everton when he first went in, but speaking to lads at the club at that time, he did struggle with the huge personalities, the Fer- Duncan Ferguson's, the Kevin Campbell's, these lads on huge money. He'd gone from being manager at Preston and it was, I think the remit of originally when he went in was, you're going to have to cut the wage bill a bit, you're going to have to get a few of these people off. Uh, so I think he immediately went in and went, I'll go and clash with these personalities, I'll go head on with them. And Which then, is what he did at United as yeah, well. Yeah, and I think then kind of realised, shit, I can't, can't do this I, I've got to maybe use a different approach I think that's how he developed his own man management skills at, at Everton but then as we all know going to, going to United then you're on a total different level you're dealing with Premier League winners you're dealing with the you know the Ferdinands the Vidic's the Evers all these lads have won so much they've won so much more than him he can't go in and look them in the eye essentially well maybe not, I'm not necessarily yeah, but he, he can't go in and go on a level with them he, he's got to maybe show them something that they've not seen before in many respects they're waiting for him to impress mm. them mm. not the other way around whereas many players are trying to impress the manager they're like, what have you got then what are you going to bring that's better or different from, from Alex Ferguson and I think that's ultimately where he probably did fall short on that yeah. he's been made look very average by Marco Silva Sam Allardyce um, Clement all of these guys have come in and had a massive impact in a much shorter period of time yeah and Sunderland are going backwards. They're not even staying where they are at the moment. They've one win in their last 13 Premier League games. Like, it's a horrendous run so with a horrendous of the last group of players. Games, they haven't even scored a goal? Yeah, that, like, that's astonishing. Yeah, I know, I know. His career is unravelling as yeah. a manager. You wonder where he's going to rock up next. I, I, and will they keep him in the summer? I will, I'll go back to the point, I think I made it earlier on, uh, made points uh, earlier on this season. David Moyes did not look happy within weeks of going to Sunderland. Now, there must have he must have spoken to various people Allardyce, Martin O'Neill, other managers that had worked with Ellis Short there at Sunderland. He must have spoken to them. He must have had the conversations as to how Ellis Short conducts himself, how he's going to deal with uh, David Moyes on a day to day basis. And I felt as though immediately he's gone in, there are clear problems, and he hasn't been happy. So he was sold a pup. Yeah, I do think that. But there's still probably ways that you've maybe got to counterbalance that you've you got to still try have and do time to things. make them more difficult to beat yeah and I, I think he ultimately hasn't and he doesn't look happy in himself he hasn't so will he be the Sunderland manager next season I wonder well, is he on a three year con- I think he's on a three year contract and the reluctance uh, of a year in the Short championship might be him. what they need well, they're battling if, if, relegation like they're decade, every season they're a decade now in 
the Premier League and they've had one top 10 finish in those 10 years that right? and that was when they finished 10th. The last five years that Bruce? it's that been Bruce? a... O'Neill maybe? No, it would have been Bruce. It would have been Bruce, yeah. So the last, like, it's half a decade of a relegation struggle. It does, I think you're right that it, it sort of feels like yeah. they could do with having a Newcastle mm. type season where you go and you win a lot of games. Yeah. You start, but maybe again, the, the support in Sunderland isn't quite at the same level as it is in Newcastle. Uh, is it? No, it, well, it's, it's not. A, you're I not being, they're not putting 51,000 no, in the stadium. I think we get 40,000 in the championship. And, but the thing is, as well, it did when Keane was there would, and they were winning games. Would, would Ellis Short go? and do what Mike Ashley's done and go, right, i tell you what, I'm going to invest. I'm going to get good championship players. I'm going to get your Dwight Gales. I'm going to get your, uh, what's the lad they got from Bournemouth, the winger? Matt from, Ritchie. Matt Ritchie. Uh, 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 the Army from John, Hull. John Joseph Shelby. Yeah, well, he was there already. He was there already, yeah. Sorry, yeah, but, yeah. Um, the Army from Hull, who they got in, um, Kieran Clark. Are you going to go and get good championship players and go that, that have maybe... Maybe you could even say the lower Premier League players and go, they will get us up. I don't think Ellis Short will do that. So whoever, I don't necessarily see Sunderland having the bounce like like Newcastle have had anyway. Is Sunderland a mess behind the scenes? I I never realised until the controversy arose uh, with the BBC reporter during the week that Ellis Short wasn't at every game. No, I thought he was quite hands on. He's based in America. Based in America. Yeah. I thought he still was there all the time, but clearly, yeah, it's. Yeah, I think we need to. I think we need to wrap this anyway. Now, other games: Everton, Leicester. Yeah, should be goals. Craig Shakespeare is obviously the best manager in the Premier League, uh, and uh, the owners out at Leicester City could not be more vindicated. Oh, what is it? Six wins, fifteen goals, three clean sheets. Vardy Mara scoring. What's going on, Dave? Do you tell me what's happening? Because I tell you what, I I didn't see it going the way it did. You know that. <laughs> you're damn right, you did. Yeah, Dave. Dave says I'm leaving the building with my uh, with my tail between. My no, legs you're not. Today. I admire you sticking to this. I still believe it, Dave. I, Dave. I still believe it's it. It's so wrong. I don't understand. I do how, admire how, you for sticking to it. I don't understand how you can get a job in coaching and achieve what he's achieved, and for it to turn the way that it's gone from that. Because is that, that is, is not just big football, and Premier League players are fickle, and That's the game is fickle, and they had no alternative but to sack him because they would be in the bottom three right now if they'd kept him in there. The amount of points that Hull and Swansea and Palace have picked up since Ranieri was sacked. Yeah, Leicester would be in the bottom three if he was still the manager. Well, he was. They're eight points clear now. I think the most important thing then that they are safe. They'll get safe. That's Atletico Madrid next week. Yeah, you know, can the can they now produce an unbelievable performance over the two games against Atletico Madrid? That's the one we look Everton forward to. Will win this game. I'm sorry. Say your goodbyes quick. Yeah, goodbye, goodbye everyone. Thanks for thanks for listening. Take it easy. I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it, it's been, we're, be, we're bigger than that. That interview was just like the performance, flat. No. Well, I mean, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he's, he's... say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up. When we finally turn it over, make a beeline towards the boulder, have a drink.